Ingersoll's Lecture on Hell, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lectures of Colonel Robert Green Ingersoll. Lecture number three, Ingersoll's Lecture on Hell. Ladies and gentlemen, the idea of a hell was born of revenge and brutality on the one side, and cowardice on the other. In my judgment, the American people are too brave, too charitable, too generous, too magnanimous to believe in the infamous dogma of an eternal hell. I have no respect for any human being who believes in it. I have no respect for the man who will pollute the imagination of childhood with that infamous lie. I have no respect for the man who will add to the sorrows of this world with the frightful dogma. I have no respect for any man who endeavors to put that infinite cloud, that infinite shadow, over the heart of humanity. I want to be frank with you. I dislike this doctrine. I hate it. I despise it. I defy this doctrine. For a good many years the learned intellects of Christendom have been examining into the religions of other countries in the world, the religions of the thousands that have passed away. They examined into the religions of Egypt, the religion of Greece, the religion of Rome, and of the Scandinavian countries. In the presence of the ruins of those religions, the learned men of Christendom insisted that those religions were baseless, that they are fraudulent, but they have all passed away. While this was being done, the Christianity of our day applauded, and when the learned men got through with the religions of other countries, they turned their attention to our religion. By the same mode of reasoning, by the same methods, by the same arguments that they used with the old religions, they were overturning the religion of our day. Why? Every religion in this world is the work of man. Every one. Every book has been written by man. Men existed before the books. If books had existed before man, I might admit there was such a thing as a sacred volume. In my judgment, man has made every religion and made every book. There is another thing to which I wish to call your attention. Man never had an idea. Man will never have an idea, except those supplied to him by his surroundings. Every idea in the world that man has came to him by nature. Man cannot conceive of anything the hint of which you have not received from your surroundings. You can imagine an animal with the hoof of a bison, with the pouch of the kangaroo, with the wings of an eagle, with the beak of a bird, and with the tail of the lion, and yet every point of this monster you borrowed from nature. Everything you can think of, everything you can dream of, is borrowed from your surroundings. Everything. And there is nothing on this earth coming from any other sphere whatever. Man has produced every religion in the world. And why? Because each generation bodes forth the knowledge and the belief of the people at the time it was made. And in no book is there any knowledge found except that of the people who wrote it. In no book is there found any knowledge except that of the time in which it was written. Barbarians have produced, and always will produce, barbarian religions. 
barbarians have produced and always will produce ideas in harmony with their surroundings and all the religions of the past were produced by barbarians every one of them we are making religions today we are making religions tonight that is to say we are changing them and the religion of today is not the religion of one year ago what changed it science has done it education and the growing heart of man has done it we are making these religions every day and just to the extent that we become civilized ourselves will we improve the religion of our fathers if the religion of one hundred years ago compared with the religion of today is so low what will it be in one thousand years if we continue making the inroads upon orthodoxy which we have been making during the last twenty-five years what will it be fifty years from tonight it will have to be remonetized by that time or else it will not be legal tender in my judgment every religion that stands by appealing to miracles is dishonor every religion in the world has denounced every other religion as a fraud that proves to me that they all tell the truth about others why suppose mr smith should tell mr brown that he smith saw a corpse get out of the grave and that when he first saw it it was covered with the worms of death and that in his presence it was reclothed in healthy beautiful flesh and then suppose mr brown should tell mr smith i saw the same thing myself i was in a graveyard once and i saw a dead man rise suppose then that smith should say to brown you're a liar and brown should reply to smith and you're a liar what would you think it would simply be because smith never having seen it himself didn't believe brown and brown never having seen it didn't believe smith had now if smith had really seen it and brown told him he had seen it too then smith would regard it as a corroboration of his story and he would regard brown as one of his principal witnesses but on the contrary he says you never saw it so when a man says i was upon mount sinai and there i met god and he told me stand aside and let me drown these people and another man says to him i was upon a mountain and there i met the supreme brahma and moses says that's not true and contends that the other man never did see brahma and he contends that moses never did see god that is in my judgment proof that they both speak truly every religion then has charged every other religion with having been an unmitigated fraud and yet if any man had ever seen the miracle himself his mind would be prepared to believe that another man had seen the same thing whenever a man appeals to a miracle he tells what is not true truth relies upon reason and the undeviating course of all the laws of nature now we have a religion that is some people have i do not pretend to have religion myself i believe in living for this world that's my doctrine in living here now today tonight that's my doctrine to make everybody happy that you can now let the future take care of itself and if i ever touch the shores of another world i will be just as ready and anxious to get into some remunerative employment as anybody else 
now we have got in this country a religion which men have preached for about eighteen hundred years and just in proportion as their belief in that religion has grown great men have grown mean and wicked just in proportion as they have ceased to believe it men have become just and charitable and if they believe it to-night as they once believed it i wouldn't be allowed to speak in the city of new york it is from the coldness and infidelity of the churches that i get my right to preach and i say it to their credit now we have a religion what is it they say in the first place that all this vast universe was created by a deity i don't know whether it was or not they say too that had it not been for the first sin of adam there would never have been any devil in this world and if there had been no devil there would have been no sin and if there had been no sin there never would have been any death for my part i am glad there was somebody had to die to give me room and when my turn comes i'll be willing to let somebody else take my place but whether there is another life or not if there is any being who gave me this i shall thank him from the bottom of my heart because upon the whole my life has been a joy now they say because of this first sin all men were consigned to eternal hell and this because adam was our representative well i always had an idea that my representative ought to live somewhere about the same time i do i always had an idea that i should have some voice in choosing my representative and if i had a voice i never should have voted for the old gentleman called adam now in order to regain man from the frightful hell of eternity christ himself came to this world and took upon himself flesh and in order that we might know the road to eternal salvation he gave us a book and that book is called the bible and whenever that bible has been read men have immediately commenced cutting each other's throats wherever that bible has been circulated they have invented inquisitions and instruments of torture and they commenced hating each other with all their hearts but i am told now we are all told that this bible is the foundation of civilization but i say that this bible is the foundation of hell and we shall never get rid of the dogma of hell until we get rid of the idea that it is an inspired book now what does the bible teach i am not going to talk about what this minister or that minister says it teaches the question is ought a man to be sent to eternal hell for not believing this bible to be the work of a merciful father and the only way to find out is to read it and a very few people do read it now i will read a few passages this is the book to be read in the schools in order to make our children charitable and good this is the book that we must read in order that our children may have ideas of mercy charity and justice does the bible teach mercy now be honest i read i will make mine arrows drunk with blood and the sword shall devour flesh deuteronomy thirty two forty two pretty good start for a merciful god that thy foot may be dipped in the blood of thine enemies and the tongue of thy dogs in the same psalms ninety eight twenty three 
again and the lord thy god will put out those nations before thee by little and little thou mayest not consume them at once lest the beasts of the field increase upon thee deuteronomy seven twenty two but the lord thy god shall deliver them unto thee and shall destroy them with a mighty destruction until they be destroyed and he shall deliver their kings into thine hand and thou shalt destroy their name from under heaven there shall no man be able to stand before thee until thou have destroyed them deuteronomy seven twenty three and twenty four so joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by waters of merom suddenly and they fell upon them and the lord delivered them into the land of israel who smote them and chased them into the great zidon and into misrephothimeam and unto the valley of mizpeth eastward and they smote them until they left them none remaining and joshua did unto them as the lord bade him he hewed their horses and burnt their chariots with fire and joshua at that time turned back and took hazor and smote the king thereof with the sword for hazor before time was the head of all those kingdoms and they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword utterly destroying them there was not any left to breathe and he burnt hazor with fire and all the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword and he utterly destroyed them as moses the servant of the lord commanded but as for the cities that stood still in their strength israel burnt none of them save hazor only that did joshua burn and all the spoil of these cities and the cattle the children of israel took for a prey unto themselves but every man they smote with the edge of the sword brave until they had destroyed them neither left they any to breathe as the moral god had commanded them as the lord commanded moses his servant so did moses command joshua and so did joshua he left nothing undone of all that the lord commanded moses so joshua took all that land the hills and all the south country and all the land of goshen and the valley of the same even from the mount halak that goeth up to seir even unto Balgad in the valley of Lebanon under Mount Hermon, and all their kings he took, and smote them, and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hevites, the inhabitants of Gideon. All other they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them, as the Lord commanded Moses. And at that time came Joshua, and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debit, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities there was none of the anakims left in the land of the children of israel only in gaza in gath and in ashdod there remained 
So Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel, according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land rested from war. Joshua 11, 7-23 When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. And if it shall be, if it make thee answer of peace, and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. But the women, and the little ones, and the cattle, and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself, and thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities, which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations. But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them. Deuteronomy 20, 10-17 neither the old men nor the women nor the maidens nor the sweet dimpled babe smiling upon the lap of his mother were to be spared and he said unto them thus saith the lord god of israel a merciful god indeed put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor Exodus thirty two twenty seven. Now recollect, these instructions were given to an army of invasion, and the people who were slayed were guilty of the crime of fighting for their homes. Oh, most merciful God! The Old Testament is full of curses, vengeance, jealousy, and hatred, and of barbarity and brutality. Now do you not for one moment believe that these words were written by the most merciful God? Don't pluck from the heart the sweet flowers of piety and crush them by superstition. Do not believe that God ever ordained the murder of innocent women and helpless babes. Do not let this supposition turn your hearts into stone, when anything is said to have been written by the most merciful God, and the thing is not merciful, then I deny it, and say he never wrote it. I will live by the standard of reason, and if thinking in accordance with reason takes me to perdition, then I will go to hell with my reason, rather than to heaven without it. Now does this Bible teach political freedom, or does it teach political tyranny? Does it teach a man to resist oppression? Does it teach a man to tear from the throne of tyranny the crowned thing and robber called a king? Let us see. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that are ordained of God. Romans 12, 1. All the kings and princes and governors and thieves and robbers that happened to be in authority were placed there by the infinite Father of all. 
whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of god and when george washington resisted the power of george the third he resisted the power of god and when our fathers said resistance to tyrants is obedience to god they falsified the bible itself for he is the minister of god to thee for good but if thou do that which is evil be afraid for he beareth not the sword in vain for he is the minister of god revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath but also for conscience sake romans thirteen four and five i deny this wretched doctrine wherever the sword of rebellion is drawn to protect the rights of man i am a rebel wherever the sword of rebellion is drawn to give man liberty to clothe him in all his just rights i am on the side of that rebellion i deny that the rulers are crowned by the most high the rulers are the people and the presidents and others are but the servants of the people all authority comes from the people and not from the aristocracy of the air upon these texts of scripture which i have just read rest the thrones of europe and these are the voices that are repeated from age to age by brainless kings and heartless kings does the bible give woman her rights is this bible humane does it treat woman as she ought to be treated or is it barbarian let us see let the woman learn in silence with all subjection one timothy two eleven if a woman would know anything let her ask her husband I imagine the ignorance of a lady who had only that source of information but i suffer not a woman to teach not to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence for adam was first formed then eve what magnificent reason and adam was not deceived but the woman being deceived was in the transgression splendid but i would have you know that the head of every man is christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of christ is god that is to say there is as much difference between the woman and man as there is between christ and man this is the liberty of woman for the man is not of the woman but the woman is of the man it was the man's cut till that was taken not the woman's neither was the man created for the woman well what was he created for but the woman was created for the man wives submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the lord there's liberty for the husband is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body therefore as the church is subject unto christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything good again even the savior didn't put man and woman upon an equality the man could divorce the wife but the wife could not divorce the husband and according to the old testament the mother had to ask for forgiveness for being the mother of babes splendid here is something from the old testament when thou goest forth to war against thine enemies and the lord thy god hath delivered them into thine hands and thou hast taken them captive and seest among the captives a beautiful woman and has a desire unto her that thou wouldst have her to thy wife then thou shalt bring her to thine house 
and she shall shave her head and pare her nails. Deuteronomy 21, 10 through 12. That is in self-defense, I suppose. This sacred book, this foundation of human liberty, of morality, does it teach concubinage and polygamy? Read the 31st chapter of Numbers. Read the 21st chapter of Deuteronomy. Read the blessed lives of Abraham, of David, or of Solomon. And then tell me that the sacred scripture does not teach polygamy and concubinage. All the language of the world is not sufficient to express the infamy of polygamy. It makes a man a beast and woman a stone. It destroys the fireside and makes virtue an outcast, and yet it is the doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine defended by Luther and Melanchthon. It takes from our language those sweetest words, father, husband, wife, and mother, and takes us back to barbarism and fills our hearts with the crawling, slimy serpents of loathsome lust. Does the Bible teach the existence of devils? Of course it does. Yes, it teaches not only the existence of a good being, but a bad being. This good being had to have a home. That home was heaven. This bad being had to have a home, and that home was hell. This hell is supposed to be nearer to earth than I would care to have it, and to be peopled with spirits, spooks, hobgoblins, and all the fiery shapes with which the imagination of ignorance and fear could people that horrible place and the Bible teaches the existence of hell, and this big devil, and all these little devils. The Bible teaches the doctrine of witchcraft, and makes us believe that there are sorcerers and witches, and that the dead could be raised by the power of sorcery. Does anybody believe it now? Then said Saul unto his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself, and put on other raiment. And he went, and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, I pray thee, divine unto me by the familiar spirit, and bring me him up, whom I shall name unto thee. That was a pretty good spiritual seance. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits, and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life, to cause me to die? And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall be no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me, for thou art Saul? And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground, and bowed himself. 1 Samuel 28, 7-14 In another place he declares that witchcraft is an abomination unto the Lord. He wanted no rivals in this business. Now what does the New Testament teach? 
Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, hell cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Matthew 4, 1-7 is it possible that any one can believe that the devil absolutely took god almighty and put him on the pinnacle of the temple and endeavored to persuade him to jump down is it possible again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him all these things will i give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Matthew 4, 8-10 through 10. Now the devil must have known at that time that he was God, and God at that time must have known that the other was the devil. How could the latter be conceived to have the impudence to promise God a world in which he did not have a tax title to an inch of land? Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Matthew 4, 11. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he came and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. Mark 5, 1-13 now I will ask a question. Should reasonable men in the 19th century in the United States of America believe that that was an actual occurrence? 
If my salvation depends upon believing that, I am lost. I have never experienced the signs by which it is said a believer may be known. I deny all the witch stories in this world. These fables of devils have covered the world with blood. They have filled the world with fear, and I am going to do what I can to free the world of these insatiate monsters, small and great. They have filled the world with monsters. They have made the world a synonym of liar and ferocity. And it is this book that ought to be read in all the schools, this book that teaches man to enslave his brother. If it is larceny to steal the result of labor, how much more is it larceny to steal the laborer himself? Moreover, of the children of the strangers that do sojourn among you, of them shall ye buy, and of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land and they shall be your possession, and ye shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen forever, but over your brethren, the children of Israel, ye shall not rule one over another with rigor. Leviticus 25.45.46 Why? Because they are not as good as you will buy of the heathen roundabout? Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years shall he serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. If the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the door-post, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Exodus 21, 1-6 This is the doctrine which has ever lent itself to the chains of slavery, and makes a man imprison himself rather than desert his wife and children. I hate it! Now listen to the New Testament, the tidings of great joy for all people. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye-service, as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Ephesians 6, 5 and 6. Splendid Doctrine. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. 1 Peter 2, 18 and 19. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. He was afraid they might not work all the time, so he adds, not with the eye service as men pleases, but in the singleness of heart, fearing God. Read the twenty-first chapter of Exodus 7 to 11. And if a man sell his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the men servants do. 
if she please not her master who hath betrothed her to himself then shall he let her be redeemed to sell her unto a strange nation he shall have no power seeing he hath dealt deceitfully with her and if he have betrothed her unto his son he shall deal with her after the manner of daughters if he take him another wife her food her raiment and her duty of marriage shall he not diminish and if he do not these three unto her, then shall she go out free, without money. Servants be obedient to your masters, is the salutation of the most merciful God, to one who works for nothing, and who receives upon his naked back the lash, as legal tender for service performed. Servants be obedient to your masters, is the salutation of the most merciful God, to the slave-mother bending over her infant's grave. Servants, be obedient to your masters, is the salutation, to a man endeavoring to escape pursuit, followed by savage bloodhounds, and with his eye fixed upon the northern star. This book ought to be read in the schools, so that our children will love liberty. What does this same book say of the rights of little children? Let us see how they are treated by the most merciful God. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold of him, and bring him out unto the elders of his city, and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Deuteronomy 21, 18-21 Abraham was commanded to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, and he intended to obey. The boy was not consulted. Did you ever hear the story of Jephthah's daughter? Returning him, Jephthah said, And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord, and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah passed over into the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he smote them from Aroer, even till thou come to Minith, even twenty cities, and unto the plain of the vineyards, with a very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and, behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dance, and she was his only child. Besides her he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass, when he saw her, that he rent his clothes, and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth, forasmuch as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even to the children of Ammon. 
and she said unto her father let this thing be done for me let me alone two months that i may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity i and my fellows and he said go and he sent her away for two months and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains and it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father who did with her according to his vow which he had vowed is there in the history of the world a sadder story than this can a god who would accept such a sacrifice be worthy of the worship of civilized men i believe in the rights of children i plead for the republic of home for the democracy of the fireside and for this i am called a heathen and a devil by those who believe in the cheerful and comforting doctrine of eternal damnation read the book of job read that god met the devil and asked him where he had been and he said walking up and down the country and the lord said to him have you noticed my man job over there how good he is and the devil said of course he's good you give him everything he wants just take away his property and he'll curse you you just try it and he did try it and took away his goods but job still remained good the devil laughed and said he had not been tried enough then the lord touched his flesh but he was still true then he took away his children but he remained faithful and in the end to show how much job made by his fidelity his property was all doubled and he had more children than ever if you have a child and you love it would you be satisfied with a god who would destroy it and endeavor to make it up by giving you another that was better looking no you want that one you want no other and yet this is the idea of the love of children taught in the bible end of part one of ingersoll's lecture on hell this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain